Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, Conversations About Impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I show entrepreneurs how to turn their businesses into agents for lasting change, global impact, and a force for good in the world. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. I'm excited to announce the Fierce Women Forum, a special event where nine remarkable leaders and I will talk about what it means to be fierce, the reactions we receive as women and people perceived as women, and how we can support each other to be fierce when it's needed. If you've ever been told you're too much or silenced yourself because you were afraid of how you'd be perceived, the Fierce Women Forum is for you. To learn more about the forum and the outstanding leaders I'll be in conversation with, and to register, go to workalchemy.com forward slash FWF, as in Fierce Women Forum. The Fierce Women Forum begins on July 15th, so be sure to bookmark that site right now and go there right after this episode. Even if you're listening to this after July 15th, you can still register and receive the recording. Please join us. Today's guest on the podcast is Abigail Rose Clark. Utilizing strategic somatic methods, Abigail's work creates lasting change in our personal and professional lives, rippling out from individual to systemic change. By helping people truly inhabit their own skin and blood and guts and bones, she offers a way to re-enter into true relationship with the world. Welcome to the podcast, Abigail. I'm delighted to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm really, truly honored to be here. So, so much of your work centers around embodiment. And tell us, why is being embodied so important? Uh, Such a good question. I mean, I think it's important to recognize the obvious is that we have a body. Like there is a way in which to say that we're, that we are focusing on embodiment is in a way it's, it's like putting a modifier on on unique it's like the word unique doesn't need the word very you can't have a very unique situation and in a way it's like a body a person in a body doesn't need to work on being embodied we're just embodied but what i'm interested in is what happens when we give ourselves time and space to feel what it is that we feel as we're feeling it to really notice what's happening as it's happening because something that is so predominant in this culture uh, on all levels, from the personal to the professional to the systemic, mm-hmm. is that there is a, a, a resistance to feeling what's actually happening, like what's actually in the room, what's actually in this moment. And there's a focus on the future and, the, um, and right. a resistance of even acknowledging the past as it actually is. But all of that, hinges on this denial of what's actually in this moment Mm. so if we're embodied then we're in this moment and then more space and more options become available for both physiological reasons and also just that's what happens when someone is paying attention is giving attention Mm. we have more space and more options available so what is being embodied then? I mean, I, I can kind of follow the, the logic of this to, to this question, but it, could you speak a little bit about what does being embodied have to do with business and leadership then? Absolutely. So even on 
for example, on the, on the physiological level. So when we are caught in a sort of more mental state, being more focused on future concerns or past, past worries, failures, etc., without then also grounding ourselves in this moment. Because to be in business, to be doing it well, you have to be taking account of what has happened, you know, and learning from both failures and successes. And you have to be taking clear consideration of what the projected future is and mm -hmm. making adjustments and responding accordingly. But if that doesn't include a grounded sense of the present, then what ends up happening is we lose we lose the potential that the body has to offer creative solutions. And part of that is due to the, just the physiological nature of the body. The body has the autonomic nervous system. And in that autonomic nervous system, there is the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system gets a bad rap because it's kind of like the fight or flight nervous system. It's mm -hmm. the one that, that gets like overly engaged when people are in states of worry, fear, stress. And I would say that just modern culture as a whole, maybe in the times of COVID, it's definitely shifted because we're not moving around as much. But even just getting in the car and driving at 60, 70 miles an hour automatically engages that sympathetic nervous system because you're moving quickly, uh, right? Right. That nervous system simply cannot uh, take in many different creative. Uh, uh, repeat. That nervous system hasn't ha can't take in a lot of different information and come up with a creative solution. That mm. nervous system is excellent at at having like a tunnel vision focus on what has to be done and doing that thing. It's the it's the reaction nervous system. And that's and the sympathetic so, nervous system. That's the sympathetic nervous okay. system, exactly. I'm oversimplifying, but also that's so that it doesn't end up being a, um, an anatomy and physiology lecture. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but then there's, on, there's this other part of the nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system. This is the part, the vagus nerve has been getting a lot of press recently, and I love that it is. It's having its moment as it should, because the vagus nerve is the relational, it, it allows us to relate. Vagus and vagabond had the same root. The vagus nerve is the wandering nerve. It wanders through the body, all of the viscera, all from eyes through the face, down to the belly, all of it. Mm. But the beautiful thing about the parasympathetic nervous system is that it, it, there is more tone in the nervous system, and tone meaning ability to respond. In that nervous system, when we are relaxed and grounded, and even when we're doing something as simple as exhaling all the way, when the exhale is longer than the inhale, this allows for more tone in that parasympathetic nervous system. The parasympathetic nervous system is the nervous system that takes in various different perspectives, ideas, information, and comes up with a creative solution. That is what that nervous system can do. So we need both, right? To be in business, we need to have both the ability to, to react and to and to focus in on what needs to get done and get the thing done. And we also need to be able to take in all of this, all of this changing landscape, especially right now. And we're recording this in June of 2020. 2020 has shown us that the ability to respond in creative ways is a, an essential part of business. It's yeah, not absolutely. even something that, yeah, that, there's no luxury about this. This is essential. 
And so being able to respond in moments of crisis as well as in moments of just whenever something isn't going, quote-unquote, according to plan, the body is what allows that to be possible. That's why I feel that is one of the reasons. We can go into some other reasons or we can go more into this reason, but that is one of the key reasons that it is so essential, I feel, for for any business leader, organizational leader, anyone who desires to have real impact in the world to take the time to be present so that more creative options become available so that we respond rather than react. So when you're talking about embodiment, then you're talking, are you talking about awareness or does it go beyond awareness? Well, these are excellent questions. So yes, it's an awareness, but an awareness often gets sort of uh, relegated to the mental state only. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, I'm aware, I'm thinking. Right. This is more of a felt presence. So that I'm not just thinking, oh, I'm talking to Ursula. I should be, I'm, I'm aware that I'm sitting here talking to Ursula and I'm listening to her, etc. cetera. Uh, that's an awareness. That we could say is mindfulness, another word that has definitely had its moment in the sun. But embodiment is a deep presence. So I'm allowing the space around me to be felt into my body so that, and if there is discomfort in my physical body, then there can be an adjustment made so that the discomfort doesn't limit my ability to uh, have creative conversation with you in unnecessary ways. I'm allowing whatever you say to be felt in my body so that I don't just hear the question rather than listen to it and sort of assume, oh, yeah, I've done interviews before. I know exactly what she's going to ask. I'll just say the thing I said before, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I'm also allowing new ideas to come through the conversation. Anytime we're having a real conversation, then, then the people involved in that conversation are are creating something new. So this is something this has never happened before. A conversation between you and I on the 22nd of June 2020 has never happened before. And so to be truly present to that is what I feel is embodiment. Not just to be aware that it's happening, but to be present as it's happening. Well, it's not even new questions or new information. You can still be deeply present to something even if you've heard it before and have a different response, right? Absolutely. I mean, I've been breathing since I started breathing, but when I'm truly present to the breath, every breath is a new opportunity. Same thing with just the, the ins- I mean, there's so much about business that can get, if we're doing it really well, sometimes stuff that we're doing in business in our businesses becomes what well, I could say boring. Like we've done it again. Like we're doing it again. Like, Oh, this time of year, this happens, this time of day, this happens, etc. It's boring if we're not being present to it, if I'm just on autopilot, and now it's just something that gets done. But those moments that are the simplest actions actually have more space then for the presence to come in more fully in a different kind of way than when it's new and technical, and I have to sort of approach it with that, this has never been, I've never done this before kind of, you know, mentality. Mm-hmm. There's this, um, but there's more space for presence when the, when what re- is required of me doesn't necessarily require all of my attention. I then have more space to give attention to what is in and around and coming through. Mm-hmm. And that happens in business as well. That's why 
that's why masterful business leaders are able to to have such incredibly creative and impactful ideas. It's because the there's more space for things to come through. So when you talk about um, deep presence or embodiment in leadership, what does that look like? I mean, you mm. already mentioned, you know, coming up with creative ideas, but I'm thinking, you know, more from a relational standpoint, because a lot of leadership mm-hmm. is how are you affecting the people in your company? How are you leading in terms of the impact you want to have in the larger world? And I'd love to know more about how you see that playing out when a leader has that deep presence, is able to, um, to do that. What does, what does that look like that's different from what we maybe sometimes think of? Absolutely. So one thing that I've worked with different organizations with is the idea that, that there is, there is leadership from domination and control. And then there is this leadership from presence. So, I mean, we all, people in the audience might be working for themselves, but we've all had a boss at one point or another, even if that boss was way back, you know, in high school flipping burgers or something. And so there's a, there's a lived memory of having a boss that came in and was, and was focused on control and domination and on punishment as the model to make sure that the job was done well. And even if it's, you know, I'm sure, I mean, I definitely have a list of those terrible bosses where it's like, oh yeah, this is, that's just very clear. There's also um, just, there's, there's a spectrum of that Mm -hmm. or then it goes too far to the other side and then it's the boss. It's just kind of like, you know, just kind of out to lunch almost as, as is two hands off and the, and the mentorship and the guidance isn't there. If a leader is fully present, then at every step of the way, people are a part of the process and that allows more of that creativity to come through the right pe- the the most creative and responsive people are hired there's no need to sort of micromanage and pick at it and humans are we're we're literally evolved to co-regulate and the thing about power structures and power dynamics is that we co-regulate based on who is seen as having the most power so as long as we're still working in, in systems that where there is someone who has more power than someone else, which a business is, right? There's always someone that you uh, that you kind of report to, whether that's the owner, the manager, etc. We're always going to be tuned into co-regulating based on how that person is in the room. It's it's an unconscious yeah. sure. uh, response, right? So if 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 I, as um, a manager or uh, the leader of a company, if I come in in presence, meaning grounded, aware, not looking to assert my control, but instead being in full control, then I automatically have an effect on those in the room. And like I was saying with the nervous system, remember that when people are in states of fear or stress or anxiety, we there, it is just physiological and possible to have the most creative solution or the most creative response. Creativity can still happen. There's plenty of ways in which creativity happens when there's the stress involved, but it's not, but there's, there's the sort of that stress of fear and anxiety. And then there's the 
the stress of excitement and, um, and aliveness that can come. And if we're not having that, then we're missing out on all the creativity that either we as individuals can offer or our team can offer. And that's why it's so essential for organizations to put presence at their center, not as a, not just as a box to check, a box to check, but as an actual guiding principle of how they model their business. Hmm. Well, and not all stress is bad. So stress meaning that there's some pressure for change. There's some. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, we're not all just on vacation, you know, like just watching the waves go. Like there, is a, <laughs> there is a need to have that sort of that cauldron, but there's just such a difference between that stress that is built in from fear and domination and, and control and punishment, really like a punitive retaliatory control versus a control that comes in from just having a deep sense of this is what is what, this is how this goes. And if you don't want to do it this way, then as the leader of, the, of my organization, then I have a responsibility to show you to the door. But it's not because I'm going to be punishing you. It's, more, it's just because this is how this is done here. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, and that's a different. And then and then the stress comes from the excitement. You know, excitement is that reads to the body as stress and excitement, engagement, the sort of the hot, the adrenaline high from just getting on a good idea and rolling with it. All mm-hmm. of those can exist. We don't need to chase the adrenaline by creating fear scenarios. Right. Yeah. Well, um, as you know, my work centers around impact, which I define as where you and your unique business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. When you think about impact, what would you say is the impact of your work? Hmm. Well, my hope is that the impact is a way of showing how real change, which, you know, we are in need of, it's, a, it's something that begins from the inside out, and it's something that all of us have the potential to add our grain of sand to the sea change that is needed, right? Like I mentioned the day, I know that this is going to come out a little later than when we're recording it, but we're right now in this moment of incredible change in the world where we're seeing very clearly, all of us as a, as a globe, just how much things need to change. And to, off, to be in that change from the, in deep presence allows that change to actually be transformational rather than just a sort of a change of the mask that gets put on. Mm-hmm. And so my hope is that by offering ways to be in the body and to understand that we're saying that we need, um, you know, if someone, if we're talking about the need to have reform on a state or systemic level that doesn't just happen over there it happens actually inside our organizations inside our homes inside our relationship with ourselves take it to the micro and start the change and then the culture changes as well and it has a lasting change that's my hope for the impact of what I do Mm -hmm. well and and there's a I mean there's a great example of that happening right now and what you just described with your own work is when uh I mean seeds are planted we've seen attempts at reform of of racist structures before but for whatever reason the confluence of events and the fact that we're in this time of of the pandemic and people are perhaps more 
reflective and less distracted by things that there seems to be real movement on this issue. And that's substantive. There's a potential here for transformational change on a societal level. Exactly. And so it's one thing to say, okay, Black Lives Matter, we should all be saying it. And then it's another thing to examine, okay, so how has, if, especially in organizations that are primarily white led, how have we used uh, suppressive strategies? How have we used domination strategies? Does it's not enough to just go out and quote unquote diversify? We actually have to look at how the entire organization is set up. You know, it's another thing we say, we need prison reform. Okay, yes, we absolutely do need prison reform because that is part of what upholds this this mechanization of systemic racism. So if we're saying we need prison reform, then that also requires looking to see how we as a culture continue to feed into this idea of retaliation, of punishment as the driving force for human behavior. Mm. That you're not going to do your best work for me unless I punish you if you don't or unless right. I scare you into doing it. Yeah. These are things that we, you know, we'll, it's, it's so beautiful to see how people are talking about it on the, on the massive level. And then it's so essential to bring it in to the, to the smaller lived everyday level and not just on a, not on an optic way, but in an actual guiding principles of, of the organization, guiding principles of each of our individual lives sort of way. Yeah. I was so um, kind of flabbergasted that the other day I was reading a book by an organizational consultant and one of uh, the suggestions in the book is that an option for how you can lead is through a reward punishment kind of system. And I was stunned because I, I felt that it was so uh, out, of, out of sync and out of touch uh, in the sense that, yes, I suppose that's true on a superficial level, but we, what you're really talking about is connection and relationship and when you're present with someone at that deep level there's no necessity for a kind of external you know reward punishment kind of structure you relate to each other in a healthier way and that allows you to have structures within organizations too that are are more human focus that allow you to, to be, it allows them to be relational rather than a transactional kind of experience. Is that, I mean, I sorry, I know I said a lot, number of things there, but does that, no, yeah, I love that. It. Make exactly. Sense, yeah, it does. And you know, we can, and it's what she said is actually how most organizations function, right. but there is this sort of this constant sort of reward punishment dynamic. And what we're talking about here, I mean, we're talking about work relationships. So I'm not talking about, you know, getting into the room and holding hands and doing like deep eye gazing (laughs) techniques. It's like, if that's an organization's jam, sure. But that's never how I approach these these situations. Because what I'm actually talking about is what happens when two individuals meet both from a place of presence. Right. Because it even then offers opportunities within it changes, for example, how we approach conflict, mm-hmm. conflict through a through a system that models itself on, on reward and punishment. Conflict is something to be avoided. Right. Because that's just I mean, that's you're on the fast track to being punished in some sort of way. Whereas if we are in a relational 
uh, framework, a deep presence framework, conflict is just a moment when two individuals are, are, are rubbing edges against each other. We don't see things in the same way. We don't experience things or perceive things in the same way. If we're, if we've liberated ourselves from this, um, from this punishment model and this domination model, that means that now if at the edge is where the creativity lies. It's like, okay, so you're not seeing it this way or you're not perceiving it in this way. I'm so curious. What is, what is it, right? And so often the current way that organizations are modeled, so many current organizations, it's like there's this top-down structure. And so in restaurants, for example, I work with restaurants. And, um, and something that often happens is that, you know, the best restaurants want the line cooks to, to explore to tell the manager what would make the system work better because the line cooks know because they're the ones on the line, mm -hmm. but domination modeled restaurants and uh, are interested because the line cook has no right to talk to the manager. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's, that's an example from restaurants. This goes through literally any kind of organization who gets to say that something doesn't quite sit right who is going to be shushed and sent either like to the back of the room or even out of the room and whose, whose ideas are welcome at the table. The, the, the domination model says that there's one person essentially calling on everyone and saying like, if you agree with me, yes, if you don't goodbye. Mm -hmm. And the relational model says there are ways that we wholly to hold this space and they're based in respect and, and kindness rather than niceness. But within that, by all means, like push on the edges, push on them so that we can get to more creative solutions. Yeah. I think sometimes that people operate that way because they don't really know how to do it in other ways. And mm -hmm. how, how do you bring new capabilities and tools into an organization where, you know, people are so much shaped by their own experiences. And, and if you don't know what else you can do, it's very difficult to see what the other options are. What a great question. And of course, we don't know what else to do. I used to work uh, as an English as a second language teacher in an elementary school. And so many times I heard adults yelling at children to pay attention, to be quiet, to, you know, just like, yelling as a way of demanding respect and it was like wow wow I have so many memories of that happening mm -hmm. and it those are formative experiences it's like well of course domination and control and forcing someone to submit is how we get things done so of course these are sort of fun fundamental um, principles and this is why that what I shared at the beginning that the the key is not just like to be aware that here I am you know sitting where I'm sitting breathing in breathing out but to actually have a deep presence to be able to feel what I'm feeling as I'm feeling it because all of these systems of domination control retaliation um, punishment models they all have a lived felt experience in the body and so one of the things that has to be done is learning how to differentiate between those lived experiences of working in collaboration versus working in competition mm. to notice how it feels to notice actually what happens how the breath feels how the belly feels how it actually feels in your body when you're in one versus the other so that then there's more there's there's an ability to notice when when the body is 
is giving you all the signs possible that you're operating from a model of control versus cooperation. And the thing is, is that we're, I think one of the gifts that COVID is giving us is that there is this realization that we, that time has more space to it than we'd previously been told. Although I can't, I don't want to speak for everyone. I know some people feel just as busy as ever, especially parents with kids at home. Like that's a whole other, that's a whole other story. But the, the go, 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 get this done by this, like rush, rush, rush. Urgency is a guiding principle of white supremacy culture. And that's not a new idea for me. That's been said by black leadership for, for, you know, years, decades. So anytime that we're in urgency, where we feel like there's no time to think about how I'm feeling, there's no time for me to pay attention to what I'm doing as I'm doing it, the deadline is now. That's an example of how we're just feeding into the systems that we say that we want to dismantle. Because make no mistake, if we're saying Black Lives Matter, we're saying white supremacy must die. So anytime that we are caught in that sense of urgency, we can have the Black Lives Matter sign on all of our branding out in front. Like we can send all those emails that everyone's been sending about how, you know, all of a sudden June 19th became everyone's, every white company's holiday. But it doesn't matter if, ur- if, the, if the founding principles of white supremacy culture of which urgency and domination and control are three of the primary ones are still allowed to reign supreme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm it kind of carries through the organization. And if you're continuing to hold those as important. There, Absolutely. This makes me think about uh, something I know you talk about a fair bit, which is resilience. And there's kind of a reciprocal relationship with resilience that if, if, you're, if you're avoiding deep presence or you don't know how to go into deep presence, then you're, resilience is compromised on both on a personal level, but also on an organizational level, because if everybody's kind of stressed and, and um, having difficulty dealing with challenges as they come up, um, I mean, on both levels, it's no bueno (laughs) (laughs) to use a technical term, but can you speak, can you speak to uh, resilience and the, the, the role that, embodiment plays in that yes thank you for asking and in fact i would love to maybe not rather than just talking about it i'd love to guide us through a simple sort of embodiment practice to to show what it is i want to talk about sure so all you need is if you've got a wall or a table you need something near you that you can push into that you're not going to push over so that can be the table or a wall if you're close by so we'll give folks listening and you as well to a time but you got something near you yes okay so and this thing like you're clear that when you you can push on it without your mic and it's not going to fall over yes um okay <laughs> i'd have to move away from the mic in order to do that so. oh, okay well then 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 for you you'll do this at, you'll do this um later okay <laughs> but i think i think you'll be able to imagine it even though you might not give your full force on whatever it is you're pushing but for those at home <laughs> Please push on something that you know will hold your weight so that I, you can really go into it. You are still have push with awareness of what you're pushing on. Okay. <laughs> so we don't hear a big crash. All right. But so, and this can be floor, wall, table, the chair underneath you. But so <clears throat> if we think about resistance as this idea that we are, we will not allow something 
huge to come and overtake us and overwhelm us, right? Like we're saying no to something big. There's no need to resist a feather or like a small little pile of dirt, right? Like we resist the, we resist the, the enormity of these systems. We resist the enormity of, of white supremacy culture as a whole, of, uh, of a culture built on domination and control as a whole. We resist the systemic inequalities that have, that have for hundreds of years meant that many people don't have what they need to not only to, to, to survive, let alone to actually thrive and, and offer the creativity and have the impact that they could have. So looking at whatever it is you're going to push against, place your hand on it. And first, sort of place your hand on it as though it's something that you wouldn't even want to touch. It's like, I'm not even going to, I don't even want to get close enough to this to actually touch it, right? It's like, ew. Is that making sense? That your hand's on something that you don't want to touch? And then try and push it without wanting to touch it, right? Like even just the words coming out, it doesn't really work, right? Like I'm, eh. Like I can, like someone could take a picture of me and I could post it on Instagram and say like, I'm resisting, you know, yeah. <laughs> but my actions are not going to have an actual effect. Right? Well, you want to have minimal contact if it's something you're trying yeah, to Yeah. And like, so, so to use the, you know, two white people having this conversation, I'll just use the, the, the example of white supremacy. It's like, if I am so resistant to even exploring what whiteness has done to me, what whiteness means to me and how, how it influences how I operate in the world. And I'm just like, no, 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 that's, that's other people. Other people are that, like, but, you know, I'm, I'm one of the good ones. Then that is me sort of not even wanting to touch what it is that I'm resisting against, not being willing to get in there and get dirty, and then thinking that somehow just by putting my hand there, I'm having an effect. But, like, whatever it is you're pushing on isn't even, it's like, it is unbothered. It is not even, not even registering that mm-hmm. this is the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Now push like lock your arm and push and just be like no 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 this is not happening like i i resist i resist right and you can feel how get enough people doing that and yes maybe whatever it is you're pushing on would move right Mm -hmm. walls tables whatever but like how do you feel like i'm i'm doing it my my elbows locked i'm pushing and i'm already starting to feel like i couldn't hold this for a long time well, there's a lot and of tension. And, there's a lot of tension. Yeah. And then try and maintain that same amount of force while then also, you know, doing something with your other hand or looking around and having to navigate something else. It's just, you know, there's, there's not a lot that can be done here, right? I'm, I just have to keep pushing. And I feel like that is something that, um, that is something that, that we're coming up against, this sort of ex- the, the, the inherent exhaustion in just resisting. Is that making sense and being felt in your body? Yes. All right. So now, if you're, if I'm guessing you're sitting, but if someone else is standing, like when bend your knees a little bit if you're standing. If you're sitting, make sure that you can actually really let whatever you're sitting on hold you. So you drop your weight into whatever has you. You feel the chair underneath you when you let it hold you. Feel your feet on the ground. You let the ground hold you. It's like, the ground isn't going to just drop you all of a sudden. The ground is here. That's what gravity pulls you down. And then the natural force of the earth pushes back up through you. That's how gravity works. You're supported. You're completely supported. And then 
place your hand on whatever it is you're going to push against and note what it is before you even start pushing. It's like notice texture, notice temperature, notice anything that there is to notice, right? You get close enough to it that you're actually in a relationship with it. You're not denying that it exists and that it's a part of you of your reality. And then feeling that support underneath you, what holds you up, push from there and you push into that ground or that table or that wall, making sure not to lock your elbow. This is just so that the, the actual physiology of your body, the actual alignment of your body can make this possible. So you keep the elbow ever so slightly bent like you do when you're pushing a car out of the mud, right? Like you bend your arms a little bit and you push into what's underneath you and you push it like you mean it. And this is something that you actually are committed to. That car is going to get out of the mud. White supremacy culture is going to fall. There mm. is no other way. It is absolutely a must. Mm. So we push. And in this sort of resistance, it's actually a resilience. It's actually an acceptance of the support that is underneath us. And now I'm getting stronger by pushing in this way. Mm -hmm. That's right? my sense. Yeah. Yeah. This is a way that like my, I push like this, I get stronger. And not only do I get stronger, I am more aware of what is holding me up. I am actually more aware of the ground underneath me than I was when, before I started pushing. And definitely than I was when I was pushing in the first two ways that we explored. Do you feel that too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is what I'm talking about when I when I say that resilience is absolutely mm. essential, but it's not just resilience for resilient hashtag resilience's sake. <laughs> and that resilience without an without exploring the support, which is really where embodiment comes in, right? It's being in full presence with what's what's underneath you. That sort of resilience is the longevity kind. It's the transformational kind. It's the kind where by, by accepting what it is that I'm in resistance again, against, not accepting in the sense of like, okay, yeah, I accept it. Like, this is just the way things are. No. Accepting it that this is how things are, but it is not how things will be. And so I'm going to push with everything I've got so that it's not how things are in the future. But it is how things are now. So I'm going to be right up in with it now and push with everything I've got underneath me. And that's the thing. It's like they say be on the right side of history. It's like be on the side of history that, that the future is supporting, right? That when the, when the future speaks about 2020, that the future speaks with, with, with awe and with reverence for all the work that went in rather than, you know, rather than just hoping that you're on the, let you like you check a box for however you got to check your box for your company or for your life. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and that experience of having gone through that exercise, it really, uh, really highlights the support aspect and really being grounded and rooted in what it is that uh, you can draw on in order to, to do that kind of work. I think that really highlights mm -hmm. that so well. That's great. Oh, good. Thank yeah. you. I'm so glad that, that, that you felt that. Yeah, that's, that's exactly the point. And then, and so there's, there's all sorts of ways that that becomes helpful. What I mentioned conflict before when you're in conflict with someone you know, now, now that the table is not a table, it's a person, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm pushing against you, trying to push you over, 
really eventually like if you ever you know pull a friend over and have them do this with you like push on each other like you're trying to push each other over and if one of you leaves the other person actually falls down right it's mm-hmm. like we kind of like we this is what actually you know looking at the state of of the american resistance right now i worry about how much people white people in particular have hyper focused on this administration as like this is the root cause of everything rather than acknowledging that this is a very like a blistering boil of a rotten system that maybe is for another podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's rather certainly more than, certainly more complicated complex than, than yes. one cause for sure. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And so versus being, being, an, you know, being in conflict where we're not trying to push each other over where we're really just firmly in who we are and saying no to what takes us away from who we are, that makes us more stronger in who we are, mm-hmm. rather than the focus being on pushing this other over, pushing this other over. Right. Yes, push the other over, but with a sense of who you are, right? So that the other has no chance that the other is, is not on the right side of history. Mm. like this administration is i'm sorry that that was a political tangent but (laughs) it can't be helped well that was that was uh uh ending things on a really strong note the the way that uh yeah absolutely well the way that i always wrap up these interviews is with three questions about impact are you are you game i'm ready yeah all right so the first question is what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact The most significant thing I've learned about impact is that to truly say yes to something is also saying no to something else. Mm. And that that is actually part of it. So to try and avoid no only means that the yes actually sort of shrivels on the vine. It doesn't actually get to bear bear the the impact that it could. Mm. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, Here's the second question. What's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I would say be present. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> to try less and listen more. Mm. That's great. And the last question is, what's one insider piece of advice you'd share with somebody who's saying, I want to have more impact. I want to contribute more in the world. What would you say to them? I'd say the exact same thing that I said to question number two. It's to try less and listen more. Meaning like be present with yourself. Actually take the time to feel what it is that you're feeling as you're feeling. And then listen to what bubbles up from that place, from that from that inner quiet. Rather than trying to do what everyone else is always t- saying, like these are the five steps to success. These are the 10 steps to success. Do these three things and you'll be a overnight success, et cetera, listen more and try less. Hmm. That's great. That's definitely a quotable quote. Well, <laughs> Abigail, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, I, I really appreciate the passion which with, with which you entered this work and how you really see the intricacies of, of how deep presence can influence organizations and the people in them. So thank you for sharing Uh, you yourself and your work with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, My website 
is definitely the best way. AbigailRoseClark.com. Clark has an E on the end of it. And if you want to send me an email, info at AbigailRoseClark.com is a great way to reach out. I, I promise to respond. And, um, and then every month I offer a free uh, conversation series called The Embodiment Space on various ways in which the body intersects with the cultural change and societal change. So that happens, um, that happens once a month. It's totally free. You can get access to all past conversations. It's been going for about a year and a half now. You can get access to all past conversations by going to our website and, um, and, or also pitch yourself to be a featured guest on it too, because I love having people come on. So if people have things that they want to share, reach out. I love that. Great. Well, Abigail, thanks so much, and thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you for the work you're doing in the world, Ursula. I really appreciate it. Before you go, don't forget to register for the Fierce Women Forum so you can grow as a leader and have more impact with your business. Go to workalchemy.com forward slash FWF, as in Fierce Women Forum, to learn more and to register. Thank you for joining me. If you want to discover more about your impact, you can schedule a business impact assessment with me. That's 75 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Just email me at Ursula at workalchemy.com to schedule your business impact assessment. It's my gift to you. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on your favorite podcast app, or on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Rate and review it on Apple Podcasts if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of leaders like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.